Welcome to Contemplate, a Bible teaching ministry brought to you by Acts Church in Vancouver, Washington. Today we'll learn about the importance of relationships, get a short recap of this series, and then look at why it's so important. Please get out your Bible, and here's Pastor David. With this tough time we've been through in this past year, we've really struggled with relationship. I feel like the church even has struggled with relationship and maintaining and growing relationships. We've just not been together the same way that we used to be together. I mean, that seems pretty obvious to me, but I want to change that. I want to change that because I want to be with y'all and you all um, should want to be with each other. It has been a blessing for us that we have not had to miss too many Sundays during this whole thing, and we've been able to be here, but with all kinds of craziness, right? And so it's only been in the last few weeks we're really kind of starting to come back and and be a little bit more of what we want to expect out of church, Uh, but we just haven't spent the kind of quality time together that we need to. This is one of those talks that we need to have. We need to spend more quality time together. Um, And so there's some... Some things that I want to do about that. If you, if you remember when we were in the book of Acts, and you would have had to be here for quite a long time to have remembered this part, because I'm talking about the day of Pentecost here. So we're talking probably, what, six years ago when I was preaching on that. But the day of Pentecost arrives, right? Jesus had, had died on the cross. He had risen again. He had spoken to his apostles. He had gone around. Hundreds of people had seen him alive after he died. He went to be uh, with the Father. He ascended into heaven, and he left the apostles and the church there and said, hey, listen, the Holy Spirit's coming. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, and all these people start speaking in these languages of all these people that are gathered in Jerusalem, and they're speaking in all these other people's languages, the great works of God right? They're just talking about God's wonderful works, and these people are amazed, and this whole thing's going on. Some people are like, oh, they're drunk. Other people are like, whoa, this is amazing. This is a miracle. Peter stands up with the other 11 uh, disciples, apostles at the time, and he starts preaching. And he preaches the good news of the gospel, that Jesus died for our sins, that, he, uh, that the apostles had witnessed his resurrection, that he rose again, Uh, that the Holy Spirit could come. He told them they should repent, they should trust Jesus, be saved and baptized. And then we read this in the book of Acts. This is Acts 2, 42 through 47. There's Bibles in front of you in those chairs if you want to grab a Bible and use a paper Bible. If you don't have a Bible at home, that's our gift to you. Take one of those home with you. It says this, Acts 2, 42 through 47. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. It's a good thing it was just their generation that was perverse, right? Whew, yeah. Still, it's amazing how applicable it stays, right? Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. We're going to try to beat that this morning. No, I'm just kidding. We don't have enough here. We need a bigger building for that. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, that's the teaching, and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved." 
people were saved at Pentecost, and their response to salvation was joy, was all of those kinds of things, but it was to learn together, to fellowship together, to eat together, to take communion together, to be in one accord. We've talked about this before. One accord is, is like, think about when Amanda and Cheryl and Kaylee and whoever are up here and they're singing and they get that harmony going when it's just right and it's all flowing, that's one accord. We're harmonizing because we're all different, right? And some of us don't harmonize very well. I don't harmonize very well um, singing, but we harmonize as people together, but yet we're all moving forward, rushing along in unison together in the same direction. How do you do that? Well, you got to be talking. You got to be knowing each other. You got to be in relationships. So one accord. That was their response. And as they did this and praised God in this, what happened? They had favor with the people. And the Lord was adding to the church daily those who were being saved. We're given a very clear recipe, if you want, way of behaving that was normative, normal for the early church. In fact, this is what blew out when the Holy Spirit came upon the church, and he's still on the church. He's still in you if you're a Christ follower. This is what we do, okay? We need to be like our brothers and sisters who have come before us in time and have been in Christ before us, like these people in the early church. We need to be in one accord together, breaking bread, learning, and praying. Traditionally, Christian communities throughout time have put the church in the center of the community because it was the center of community life, social life, togetherness. That's just fundamental to being a Christ follower, that we're together with other Christ followers. We need to be both in the temple, or in this case for us, it would be this church, um, but in the temple and house to house, okay? We need to be together with each other house to house. We need to be together in this place, spending time with one another and developing relationships. God is about relationship. God is himself in relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one, but three. And in the same way, he's in relationship with us, those of us who are in Christ. We're in relationship with him and with each other, right? We have this vertical relationship with God, and we have this horizontal relationship with one another. This is the nature of Christianity. This is the nature of truth. This is the nature of who you were made to be. Developing relationships with one another. Sharpening one another. Learning and growing together. Is it difficult? Yeah. It is. It is. This isn't even in my notes. I'm just thinking about you all, and I think, yeah, it's difficult. <laughs> it's difficult, right? It's difficult. People can be difficult. They hurt us. They don't show up when they're supposed to show up. They do show up when we wish they didn't. Whatever the case is, relationship's difficult, but it's glorious. <sighs> Let's talk about the things we've been studying for the past few weeks. We've been in this series called White Lies. We've been working through the lies that have been spread in our culture that have drawn people away or, or are trying to draw people away from the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus Christ. These are the lies that we've been dealing with. So far, we've talked about apathyism and progressive Christianity. Now, I'm going to answer your questions, like I said, on the things that we have discussed on both of these shortly, a little bit. I say shortly. It might be a few minutes. But first, I want to talk, I want to do kind of a quick review. Apathyism is the relatively simpler of the two because it's basically just got one defining feature. Apathyism, as we studied, is the belief that belief doesn't matter. It's the religion of meh. 
Right? You know, let's talk about God. Eh. You know, not I'm an atheist and I want to tell you that it doesn't exist, or I'm a Christian and I want to talk about this, or even I'm some other weird thing. It's just like, eh, who cares? Who cares? I've got an Xbox. I don't care. That's apathyism, okay? Apathyists do not care about questions like, who is God? What does it mean to honor and follow him? What, who's Jesus? How does that all work? You know, why are we here? What, they don't care about that. They just don't care. And this is a growing segment of our community. People who have become so jaded and apathetic that they just don't care. They're uninterested, uncaring, indifferent when it comes to the important questions in life. They're just kind of stumbling through life. And there's a lot of people who seem to be living this way. Who you could, it's not that they're mad at you for being a Christian. We got plenty of those who think you're a bad person because you're a Christian, okay? That's why I can, I can have that conversation. I can have a, a conversation with the atheist. At least he or she cares about the question. Then we can start talking about truth and the Holy Spirit can get in their heart and work. When the person doesn't even care, that's a difficult person. So that's apathyism, Okay. A lot of people who seem to live that way. Progressive Christianity is different. Progressive Christians are people who have rejected any number of fundamental truths given to us by Jesus Christ, given to us by the Scripture, by the Bible, by God. They've just, they, they call themselves Christians or progressive Christians, but they've just rejected any... It depends on the one you're talking to, how many of these things they've rejected, okay? But these are the kinds of things that they reject. The authority and truthfulness of the Bible, Okay? Generally speaking, that's where it starts with progressive Christianity. Questioning the Bible, questioning its authority, questioning its truthfulness, questioning its origin, questioning this, that, and the other thing, and deciding that it doesn't work for what they want to believe to believe the Bible is true. Okay? The next would be the importance of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, whether that's even an important thing, or whether it was just some symbolic thing, or whether it was just whatever. That's one of the things they would disagree on. We, by the way, we're the ones who think it's really important. They don't. Uh, the truth about eternal life in God, the way that that works, who we are, who God is. They, they can tend to be uh, panentheists, kind of like God is everywhere and in everything, and he's not separate from his creation or whatever. It's like, no, God created you. You are not him, okay? A lot of progressive Christians move into that everything and everyone is God. That is so absurdly untrue, illogical, and I won't say all the things I think about it, but it's not true, okay? So they, they tend to believe things like that. The truth about hell. They reject the idea of hell often, many of them. The truth about God's design for human sexuality, okay? That's almost without, it's a sine qua non. You like that? That just means without which not, without which not. So in other words, you don't find a progressive Christian who doesn't have a different view of biblical sexual morality than Orthodox or regular Bible-believing Christians do. That's just generally always, almost always, almost all progressive Christians believe different things about human sexuality. Uh, the truth about God's design for manhood and womanhood, what some people call gender. Um, that a progressive Christian oftentimes has a different view than the Bible about what God has done in the amazing, miraculous design of creating women and men. They don't, they don't understand that. They don't value it. They don't value the, the differences and the uniqueness of those things. A lot, of, a lot of progressive Christians are that way. The truth about the sinfulness of human beings. Some progressive Christians don't really think that we're sinful. They think instead something like we should realize that we actually are perfect. 
And that's the sin is that you think you're not perfect, something like that, which doesn't work. Um, and, the, and about the atoning work of Jesus Christ through his sacrifice on the cross and his rising again, the atonement. Okay, what we'd call penal substitutionary atonement, the idea that Christ died for our sins, not for fun, not because there was a political thing, not whatever. Christ died for you and paid the price for your sins. We believe that. They do not. Okay, so we have studied several of these things in the past weeks, and Lord willing, we'll study the ones that we haven't yet moving forward in the next few weeks. I just felt like I think we were eight deep, and I thought we need, to, we need to stop and make sure that we're all on the same page with all of these, okay? But I also uh, want you to know why we're studying these things. You probably don't, uh, maybe it doesn't happen as much at uh, some of the churches maybe you've been in, in the past or whatever that we talk about these kinds of things. We study these things so that you will not be deceived by those who use the force of social pressure and high-sounding or highfalutin ideas. Okay? We don't want you to be led astray. Listen to what the scripture says, Colossians 2.8. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. So what is it saying? We need to look out. Look out. Be on guard because people will try to cheat you. Okay? Cheat you. According to the outline of biblical usage, the word in the original Greek actually means to carry off booty, to carry one off as a captive or a slave, or to lead away from the truth and subject to one's sway. The idea is you're being captured. You've got to look out because they want to capture you and carry you away. Okay? Satan always wants to turn the heart from the Father to inward, to yourself, because that's how he is. That's what he wants. That's what they will try to do. We have to be looking out for those who would try to lure us away from the truth. We have to be looking out. That means you've got to be active. You've got to know what's out there. You've got to know what's coming. Like anything else, right? If, if Christ talks about if you knew when the thief was coming, you'd be ready. Okay. Well, we've been told here, when it says beware, because this is the kind of thing that's going to happen. We're supposed to beware because this is the kind of thing that's going to happen. So that's why we do this, to be prepared so that our belief in Christ, our faith, our knowledge, our understanding is not swayed away by those who would try to take us captive. How do they do it? Well, through philosophy and empty deceit, it says, according to the tradition of man, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Philosophy by itself, it's not a bad thing. I was a philosophy major when I was in college. It's not a bad thing or a good thing sort of in and of itself. It's just a thing. It's a way of, of it's a method of working through issues by thinking about them in certain ways. But many philosophies are bad, straight up bad because they're lies, because they're false and they lead people astray. They are empty deceit, as the scripture says here, empty Deceit. Follow your truth is a philosophy of life. Follow your truth. You may have heard this, seen it on a meme, heard it in any number of television shows, podcasts, whatever. This is a popular philosophy in our culture. Follow your truth. The problem with it 
is that it's wrong. Why is it wrong? Why is it a bad philosophy? Well, Proverbs 26, 12. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? In other words, following his own truth? There is more hope for a fool than for him. The scripture is very clear about your truth. You don't have a truth. You don't have a truth. There is the truth, and you can believe it. It doesn't exist inside you. Okay? That's not how it works. People think they know what is right, but they do not. The scripture says over and over, what if we let our hearts do their own thing, it will be desperately wicked, selfishness, self-seeking, and evil all the time. That's how it is. There is no such thing as my truth or your truth. There is just the truth. And that truth is found in Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. That's who Jesus Christ is. Any philosophy that does not begin, start with, end with, Jesus Christ is false. He is the truth. Everything balances the entire universe on who God is and who Jesus Christ is and his person, his work that he's done. All of it. But the philosophers who are selling you empty deceit will tell you that if you are really enlightened, this is the, kind of, this is the way they talk. If you're really enlightened, you'd see that what they think is superior than what you think about the Bible, about God, whatever. If you, the reason you don't agree with them is because you're at a lower stage of intellectual development than them. You can see how you can just say something like that. Doesn't make it true, does it? But you can say it. You could say the same thing back. Well, actually, if you had you know, progressed beyond where you are, you'd see that my way is correct. See, I was where you were. That's what they'll say. I was just like you. And then I rose above. To which the answer is, you better get back down here. <laughs> they think that the way that they think makes more sense. That God is really the way... Uh, that they say he is, I guess is the way I would put it. They sort of make God in their own image. They sort of interpret the scriptures as if God would only do things the way they would do them. And it really does seem so thoughtful the way that they present it. And so tolerant and so nice and so many things but true. You can be really nice and be a liar in fact, most of the liars that you've met that were trying to sway you probably were being nice. If someone is wanting you to do something, they're going to be real nice with their lies. Silver-tongued, right? It may seem really nice, but it's false. It is a false way of seeing the world. It is against the scriptures, and it is against God. It is a rebellion against God to tell him that his scriptures are not true. And that the way we see things now is the enlightened way to see things when it comes to all these issues that I read about earlier. We study those, these things so that you're prepared to deal with those who more and more, as we near the time when Jesus Christ is coming back, want to convince you to give up following Christ and to instead follow their philosophies and their empty deceit. I hope you'll join us next time for much more from Pastor David. Until then, let me invite you to join us here at Acts Church in Vancouver, Washington. If you like this teaching here on Contemplate, you'll really enjoy it in person. So come see us. Get easy directions and all the info you need anytime at actschurchnw.org or call us at 360 360- 
885-985-9000. We'd love to see you this Sunday. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we'll look for you right here next time here on Contemplate.